Open it with me to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 32, and in a moment we'll begin reading in verse 48. Going to look at several verses in Deuteronomy chapter 32, 33, and 34. There's a famous singer by the name of John Mellencamp, became famous back in the 1980s, sold about 60 million albums, and is in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I will confess my music playlist is full of his songs, but a couple of years ago, he was being interviewed and he made the following statement about death. He said, quote, I intend to make my ending good. I'm hoping it's one of those long, lingering deathbed conversions. A lot of people go, oh, I hope I die just quick. Not me. I need time to put things right. Well, I sincerely hope Mr. Mellencamp does put things right one day. But nothing could be more foolish than to go through your life and wait to the end of your life to make things right with God or with others. You know, in Psalm 90, it was Moses who prayed that famous prayer, Lord, teach us to number our days. None of us know the exact number of our days on this earth, but we do know that our days are numbered and that we are to live our lives with the end in sight. But most people are not comfortable talking about that. Most people are like Mr. Mellencamp, putting it off to the very end. Well, the Bible says in Hebrews 9, 27, it is appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. I doubt any of us will live as long as Moses lived, but just like Moses, one day we are going to come to the end of life's earthly journey, and when that time comes, we are going to want to know certain things. We're going to want to know that certain things are true. We are going to want to know that certain things have taken place in our lives. Well, a year ago, we began this study looking at the life of Moses. We started off with his birth, how God intervened, how God saved him when he was but a baby. This morning, we are ending this series by looking at Moses' death. And the story of Moses' death, it shows us what some of these things are that we're going to want to know when we come to the end of the trail. And we're going to look at four things in particular. First of all, when that time comes, we're going to want to know that God's purposes were fulfilled. That God's purposes were fulfilled in our lives. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 48. Then the Lord spoke to Moses that very same day, saying, Go up this mountain of the Abraim, Mount Nebo, which is in the land of Moab, across from Jordan, view the land of Canaan, which I give to the children of Israel as a possession, and die on the mountain which you ascend, and be gathered to your people, just as Aaron your brother died on Mount Hor, and was gathered to his people. 
Notice that the Lord said this to Moses the very same day. What day is that? That would be on the very same day that Moses taught Israel that song that we studied these last two Sundays. On that same day, God said to Moses, go up to Mount Nebo and die. Now, if you don't already know the story, this might be a surprise. You might say, well, wait a second. Israel's getting ready to enter the promised land. You mean to tell me that Moses, their leader, is not going with them? Nope. Why not? Look at verse 51. Because you trespassed against me among the children of Israel at the waters of Meribah, Kadesh, in the wilderness of Zin, because you did not hallow me in the midst of the children of Israel. Yet you shall see the land before you, though you shall not go there into the land which I am giving to the children of Israel. This is a reference to another story in the book of Numbers, chapter 20. And once again, the people had no water. They'd been in that situation at least a couple of times before. They had seen what God could do. God had miraculously provided for them every time. And yet, in spite of that, they came to this place. They had no water. But rather than pray, they complained. And God told Moses what to do. He told Moses to speak to the rock and that water would come forth. But Moses, in his anger, did not speak to the rock. He took his staff and with it he hit the rock. Well, here we are years later. It is time for Moses to die. God reminds him of that particular story, told him that because of that episode, because of that event, he would not enter the promised land. Yes, God forgave Moses, but that did not mean that the consequences of his actions would simply disappear. And I am sure this was a very bitter pill for Moses to swallow. In Deuteronomy chapter 3, the Bible says that Moses pleaded with God to allow him to enter in. In fact, it appears Moses prayed that prayer so many times, God told him to stop asking. But what was it about this particular sin that disqualified Moses? Verse 51 says, you did not hallow me. In other words, you did not treat me as holy. And let me remind you of something we saw two weeks ago. That rock represented God. And for Moses to hit that rock, it was almost as if he was slapping God in the face. He did this publicly. Now, to some people, his sin may not have seemed like a big deal. It was a big deal because everyone knew that Moses was closer to God than anyone. And if Moses could treat God this way, that meant everyone could treat God this way. And so it was necessary the, the reaction, the response, be severe. Moses comes to the end of his life and God reminds him of what was no doubt the biggest regret of his life. And I need you to understand, folks, God was not rubbing it in. The point here is Moses may not enter the promised land, but God's people are going to enter the promised land. The point is, Moses may die, but God is still alive. 
And even Moses' greatest failure cannot keep God from doing what he has purpose to do. You know, I meet a lot of people who are really afraid to go full speed ahead when it comes to following God or serving God because, hey, what if I fail? What if I'm not good enough? What if this or that? And if that's you, or if you've ever felt that way, please remember this. Your mistakes cannot thwart the purposes of God. Your mistakes cannot thwart God's purposes. Your failures cannot thwart God's purposes. Your weaknesses cannot thwart God's purposes. Your sin cannot thwart God's purposes for your life. And when you learn this truth, I mean, when you really learn it, it is a liberating thing to get to that point in your life that you know that God is so sovereign. He can take even your greatest failure and turn it around and use it as a tool to do what he wants to do in your life. So trust him, follow him, serve him. Because one day when you get to the end, you're going to want to know. It's going to mean a lot to you knowing that God's purposes were fulfilled. Something else you're going to want to know when that time comes, you're going to want to know that God's glory was displayed. God's glory was displayed. Moses has just been told that he's going to die, but he still has one more thing to do. He's going to bless the people. Now, in Deuteronomy chapter 34, at the beginning of the chapter and at the end of the chapter, Moses blesses the entire nation. In the middle of that chapter, Moses blesses the individual tribes. Now, I'm not going to read all of those blessings but I do want to look at a few, particularly what Moses had to say to everyone. Notice Deuteronomy chapter 33, verse 1. Now this is the blessing with which Moses, the man of God, blessed the children of Israel before his death. By the way, I love the fact that Moses is at the very end of his life, and this is what he's called. Not the leader of Israel. Not the great prophet, not the conqueror of Egypt. He simply called Moses the man of God. Because it turns out that there is nothing greater that can be said about someone at the end of their lives than that he or she was a man of God or a woman of God. Everything else fades in comparison. Look at verse 2. And he said, The Lord came from Sinai and dawned on them from Seir. He shone forth from Mount Paran, and he came with ten thousands of saints. From his right hand came a fiery law for them. Yes, he loves the people. All his saints are in your hand. They sit down at your feet. Everyone receives your words. Moses is at the very end of his life, and he's looking back on his life. And what is the very first thing that he remembered? He remembered how God's glory was displayed on Mount Sinai. 
He described how God shone upon them, how he came with 10,000 saints. That word means holy ones, in this case, holy angels. What a glorious scene it was. In fact, it was so glorious, the people feared for their lives. But Moses reminds them how much God loves them. He reminds them that they are in God's hand, that they sit at God's feet. In other words, that God is the one who sustains them and holds them wherever they go. Look at verse 4. Moses commanded a law for us, a heritage of the congregation of Jacob. And he was king in Jeshurun when the leaders of the people were gathered, all the tribes of Israel together. This is the only time Moses refers to himself in all of these blessings. And even then, it's simply the fact that Moses handed them the law that he received from the Lord. This is the heritage he left with them. He he couldn't give them a physical inheritance, but he left them the word of God. He reminded them that God was their king. Jump down to the the end of this chapter, the, the end of these blessings. Look at verse 26. There is no one like the God of Jeshurun. And remember, that's a nickname. That's a term of endearment for Israel. Who rides the heavens to help you and in his excellency on the clouds. Moses said, here's what I want you to remember before God calls me home. I want you to remember there is no God like our God. He rides the heavens and the clouds to help you. It's like he's saying, look up at the sky. Everything you see, the sun, the moon, the stars, the clouds, all of that is like the chariot that God rides to come to the aid of his people to help you in your time of need. What a beautiful way of saying it. Verse 27 says, the eternal God is your refuge. And underneath are the everlasting arms. He will thrust out the enemy from before you and will say, destroy. It's interesting. The Bible says in Jeremiah that God measures the universe with the span of his hand. We think of the universe as so big. If we could somehow travel at the speed of light, It would take us 100,000 years just to get out of the Milky Way galaxy, our own galaxy, and yet there are billions of galaxies in the universe. We think our universe is so big. God says, no, I measured it. It's that big. And yet, the same God who measures the universe by the span of his hand It says in verse 27 that he covers us with his everlasting arms. Now, if that's true, and if we believe that, why in the world would we ever worry about anything? Look at verse 28. Then Israel shall dwell in safety, the fountain of Jacob alone, in a land of grain and new wine. His heavens shall also drop dew Happy are you, O Israel, who is like you, a people saved by the Lord. 
the shield of your help and the sword of your majesty. Your enemies shall submit to you and you shall tread down their high places. He said, Israel shall dwell in safety. That's an interesting thing to say because on the other side of the Jordan River, enemies were waiting for them. There were battles waiting that they would have to fight. And yet even before the first arrow flies, Moses tells them, you shall dwell in safety. Doesn't mean they would never suffer. Doesn't mean that they would never be attacked. But it does mean that there's nothing that comes into our lives that does not first pass through God's hands. And if God allows it, he has a purpose for it. Which is why Moses can say, happy or blessed are you. Who is like you? A people saved by the Lord. If you have been saved, you are happy, you are blessed. He said there's never a time in your life where you cannot rejoice. Now, I'm skipping over a lot here in Deuteronomy chapter 33. There are many other blessings that Moses bestows on the people. But as you read through these, you cannot help but notice a theme. In all of this, the spotlight is not on Moses. It's on God. In fact, this entire chapter, Moses hardly even refers to himself which is the exact opposite of what you would expect from someone who knows he's about to die. And these are his final words. But Moses knows it's not about him. It's about God. And so at the very end of his life, the only thing that matters to him is that God gets all of the glory. And when we come to the end of our lives, that is what will matter. Did I seek God's glory? Did I reflect God's glory in my words, in my deeds? Did I give God glory for everything that he has done in my life? One day at the end of your life, it is not going to matter how many degrees you earned. It is not going to matter how much money you made. It is not going to matter how many trophies you won. All of these things will one day be forgotten. Many of you are familiar with James Dobson, founder of a ministry called Focus on the Family. You may not know when he was in high school, he was a state tennis champion. And in his high school, they displayed his state championship trophy for generations of future students to see in the halls of that school. Well, one day, Dr. Dobson received a phone call. His high school relocated, and someone found his state champion tennis trophy in the trash. And he learned firsthand that that is where all of our worldly trophies will eventually end up. It's only what is done for God's glory that will last. When you reach the end of your life, you're going to want to know that God's purposes were fulfilled. You're going to want to know that God's glory was displayed. But you're also going to want to know that God's work will continue. That God's work will continue 
Now, in a moment, we're going to look at the beginning of chapter 34, but for now, I want you to look at chapter 34 and verse 9. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him. So the children of Israel heeded him and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. In chapter 34, Moses dies. But before Moses died, he prepared the man who would lead Israel into the promised land. Now, we first see Joshua 40 years earlier in the story when Israel came out of Egypt and they were attacked by the Amalekites. This was the very first battle that Israel ever had to fight. And in that battle, you remember the story, Moses holding up the staff of God on top of the mountain. Well, Joshua was the one leading the men fighting down in the valley below. He proved himself faithful. He was one of those 12 spies that 40 years earlier had gone into the promised land and brought back a report. He and Caleb, unlike the other 10, were the ones who said, hey, guys, let's do this. Let's trust God. He's given us the victory. Let's go in and take the land. Deuteronomy chapter 1, God told Moses, I want you to encourage him. And then later in chapter 3, God said, Moses, I want you to strengthen him. Later in chapter 31, Moses called Joshua and he laid hands on him in front of all of the people. He said, be strong, be of good courage. The Lord goes before you. He'll be with you. And so we see Moses how he recognized Joshua, he trained Joshua, he encouraged Joshua. And before he died, he affirmed Joshua. It's interesting, if you keep reading past the book of Deuteronomy, you will find that Israel treated Joshua a lot better than they treated Moses. I mean, they gave Moses a hard time. But the Bible says in verse 9, they heeded Joshua. He didn't have to deal with half the mistakes or, or half the headaches that Moses had to deal with. But you know what? I think that's exactly the way Moses would have wanted it. What a tragedy it would have been for Moses to have died without ever investing in Joshua. And likewise, what a tragedy it would be for you to live 60, 70, 80 years or more and then for all of that wisdom and knowledge and experience that you collected along the way, for all of that to die with you. It's going to matter to you one day that God's work in your life would continue even after God calls you home. So let me ask you a few questions. You've known the Lord many years? Fantastic. Who have you discipled? You have an amazing prayer life? Amen. Who have you taught to pray? There's a ministry you lead? Thank you. Who are you training to one day take your place? You love to share your faith? That's awesome. We all should. Who have you taught to do the same? 
Who have you mentored? Who are you affirming in the faith? Who are you challenging to be all that God created them to be? You see, Moses knew that he would not enter the promised land, so he spent the last several decades of his life pouring his life into the man who would. And one day you will want to know that God's work will continue. There's one more thing that you're going to want to know that you can know even now. You're going to want to know that God's word will be kept. I want you to go back to the beginning of Deuteronomy 34 and look at verse 1. Then Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo to the top of Pisgah, which is across from Jericho. And the Lord showed him all the land of Gilead as far as Dan, all Naphtali, and the land of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah as far as the western sea, the south, and the plain of the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees as far as Zoar. Then the Lord said to him, This is the land of which I swore to give Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I have caused you to see it with your eyes, but you shall not cross over there. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. And he buried him in the valley of the land of Moab, opposite Beth Peor, but no one knows his grave to this day. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eyes were not dim, nor his natural vigor diminished. And the children of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days. So the days of weeping and mourning for Moses ended. Mount Nebo was the highest peak in that region. It's like several places in the United States where you can visit and see out to multiple states. You stand on top of Pikes Peak. You can look out about 90 miles away. Well, from there on top of Mount Nebo, he could look out and see everything. And man, isn't this epic stuff? If I can use my sanctified imagination just a little bit, I can imagine Moses. He gives a very tearful goodbye to Israel as he blesses them one last time. He embraces all of the elders of Israel. And then comes that moment where he has to tear himself away from Joshua. And he turns away and begins to walk up Mount Nebo all alone. And as he's walking, he knows every single step. One step closer to his grave. Finally, he gets to the summit of Mount Nebo and he looks out on all of the land that God has given to Israel. He can see it. Not just physically, he can see it spiritually. He can look out and he can see God's people inhabiting that land. And he sits down and just takes it all in. There's a smile on his face. 
because he's satisfied. And he knows that his work on this earth is done. Finally, he lies down. He closes his eyes, goes to sleep, and does not wake up. God himself blows the dust around him, covering him. God personally buried him so that no one would turn that grave into an altar later on. But the point of Moses dying on that mountain as he looked out upon the promised land is Moses looking ahead into the future. The point was Moses believing by faith that God would keep his promise and God would do what he said he would do. And we know that God did and we know that God will. How do we know that? In part because this is not the end of the story. You see, centuries later, in Luke chapter 9, the Bible tells us that Jesus went up another mountain within the promised land that he took Peter, James, and John with him. And the Bible tells us that there Jesus was transfigured. That means for a moment, those three disciples were able to look at Jesus and see a glimpse of the glory that he beheld before he left heaven for earth. And there on that mountain in Luke 9, the Bible says that Jesus met with two men. He met with Elijah, and he met with Moses. The Bible says they talked with Jesus about what would soon take place. They encouraged him. And then with that encouragement, Jesus went down from that mountain, and he went to the cross where he laid down his life for our sin. And then on the third day, the same God who personally buried Moses personally raised Jesus from the dead. You know, Moses spent his entire life looking forward to the promised land, but he did not get to go there until after he died. Well, just like Moses, we spend our lives looking forward to our promised land, which is heaven. And just like Moses, we look forward into the future and we see it, but only with the eyes of faith. And just like Moses, one day we will get there. And when we do, it will all be because of Jesus. Do you join me as we pray? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are good. Your word tells us in Psalms, precious in your sight is the death of your saints. And we're reminded of that in this passage this morning, the story of Moses' death. We know that one day we will eventually reach the end of this earthly life. We will, if Jesus tarries, taste of death ourselves. 
And Father, how we want to know when that time comes that your purposes for our lives were fulfilled, that you used us, that you worked through us, through everything in our lives, including our mistakes, how we're going to want to know that you were glorified in our lives and that you're going to continue to work even after we are gone. And you are going to honor your word and do everything that you've said you would do. It means so much to us, God, to know these things. So, Lord, would you help us to live our lives accordingly? We read in your word this morning, happy are you, a people saved by the Lord, that those who have been saved are happy, they're blessed. Those who know you can rejoice because we know that this world for us is not the end. We know that for us, the best is always yet to come. And so, God, we thank you for that. But then we also pray for those here today who cannot say that because they've never been saved. There's never been that moment where they placed their faith in you. And so we pray for them, God. We, we pray, God, that in these moments you would open blind eyes, that you'd knock on the doors of hearts, help them to see, God, what our sin is, how it separates us from you, and that Jesus is the only solution, that he came from heaven to earth, lived a perfect life, died on the cross for us, took our place, took our punishment, and then rose again on the third day. And your word says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. God, I, I pray that this would be that moment, that day, that some man or woman or young person would call upon the name of Jesus as Lord of their lives, believing in him, and that this day they would be saved. Let no one here decide they're going to wait to the very end of their lives to make things right with you. For, for we do not know when that day will be. Thus your word tells us today's the day of salvation. And so, God, we, we ask you to move in our midst. And, Father, help all of us, help everyone here to live our lives with the end in sight. And we'll give you the thanks and the praise and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.